Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a Korean chef on the podcast to talk about how the pillars of Korean culture shape her appreciation for every dish she cooks. She is a chef, restaurateur, and owner of Mokbar in New York City. It's Esther Choi. Esther, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on becoming a Food Network hot lister. I know you worked at Food Network a few years ago. So how do you describe this full circle moment for you? Well, thank you for having me, Jamie. I'm super excited to be here and very excited, obviously, to be on the hot list this year. I guess it's weird because you know, 15 years ago or so, I was working at the Food Network Kitchens. And I guess I almost manifested this moment, it feels. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, back then, what were your aspirations like when you started working at the Food Network Kitchens? I think that growing up watching Food Network really inspired me to want to kind of go into the whole industry of, I guess, just like production. And I was just always very, very curious. And that's kind of like why I started. I started as an intern and then moved on and worked there full time. Mm -hmm. And watching all the chefs and I think working closely with chefs really inspired me to do and want to do my own thing. So I I think that meeting like such talented people and being around that really kind of aspired, like it, it gave me that aspiration of wanting to do that myself as well. As a chef, you are especially passionate about food, obviously, but as an expression of culture, how did growing up close to your grandmother, who is a Korean native, influence your perspective on food and cooking? Well, I think it, it's just only natural, right? Growing up with a grandmother that literally cooked every single <laughs> moment in her life. Like that's all she wanted to do all the time. Like morning to night, she was always in the kitchen, in the garden, cooking something for our family or for the church or, and it's, it's just, being around that all the time made me want to do that as well. I mean, I, I think that I was definitely a unique kid who loved just like being in the kitchen with grandma. Like none of my other siblings are like that. So <laughs> yeah, I guess it was just kind of innate in me. And like my grandmother kind of like just passed it on to me. So she cooked a lot of Korean food. So obviously that is what inspired me to want to cook Korean food as well. What was the first thing that you remember like learning to make with her? Oh God, that's like kind of a crazy question (laughs) because if I can think that far back, it's just as, 
as like a kid, even very, very, very young, I, I remember kind of moments in the kitchen with grandma when she was making kimchi or dumplings was always like a big one in our family because it was a very like family activity. We all did it together and it's very handsy. So even it, as a kid, it was always really fun to do, but it's basically everything. I mean, I just, I remember being in the kitchen with her all the time. So what what did she think about your, you know, your interest in, in being in the kitchen with her at all times versus like you said, your siblings who had no interest at all? <laughs> well, she, she obviously liked, loved it. She loved to teach me things and she wanted me around and she would kind of be just, you know, like a natural teacher to me. And I think as, you know, someone who loves food, if you, if there's someone else in the room that loves food as well, you just naturally want to, you know, teach them everything. Mm -hmm. Did she have like any kitchen rules that you had to abide by that you maybe still follow today? The biggest thing that I always take away from my grandmother is, you know, the way that she thought about food. It, it's her thoughtfulness of every single ingredient and to really like care for it. Like it, it's not just a dish. It's like a dish filled with love, the effort that you put in, even, you know, things like growing, she grew all of her own like vegetables mm -hmm. and always like did a big harvest and every little thing that she did would take like so much time. Mm -hmm. But that that's like, the whole process, you know, you have to trust the process and really kind of give it all your love, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, it was important for your family, for you to appreciate your Korean culture. And I know you guys all moved there for several years. What was that period of immersion like for you in your life? Oh, you did your research, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I moved over to Korea when I, I was in the third grade and immediately kind of started going to school with the Korean kids there. And for me, a lot of food memories to in that eating on the on side of the streets with my Korean friends and learning about like all these different types of Korean food was a very big memory for me, especially there's this one a street food called hotdog and hotdog is basically like a yeast dough filled with sugar and nuts usually mm. and like they fry it on the streets and you buy it for like 10 cents <laughs> and and i remember this memory of like being with all my friends and eating hot dog on the street. And like, that's such a strong memory for me. And it, obviously it was my first time having food like that, but it's such a popular like Korean street food now. But I obviously in full circle added that dish on my menu, obviously like my version of it, but that type of memory for me is, is special because, you know, it, it, I learned about my culture through, you know, the students and the kids that I went to school with. Mm -hmm. What what are your favorite elements of Korean culture, whether it's food or, you know, otherwise? I mean, food, definitely. Obviously, <laughs> like it's just I, I'm just obsessed with Korean food. I think that's the biggest reason why I decided to cook Korean food is because I just love eating it. And that's something it, it's just like we like Koreans like to say you know, we're probably the only ones that are like so obsessed with our own food, you know, like <laughs> I can't live without kimchi. Like I have to eat it every single day. And if I could 
have it for every single meal, no matter what type of cuisine I'm eating. Like mm-hmm. I always want it on the side because it's kind of like a pickle, you know, and it's spicy. And it just like, for me, just the thought of it makes me like salivate. <laughs> I mean, when you talk about your personal cooking philosophy, you know, you talked about how much your grandmother really, you know, kind of respected the whole process. You know, how does that influence you in your own cooking and, and how intentional you are about what you're cooking? Well, I think the biggest thing is cooking seasonally is very important because, you know, you want to eat things at its best form. And, you know, if you harvest it yourself, I mean, my dream would be to like have my own garden (laughs) or farm and then harvest it and then cook it and then put it on the table because it's like full circle. Mm -hmm. You experience the food from its purest, its moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So I guess starting with the ingredients and then kind of highlighting its best form, whether it be fermentation or pickling or even preservation, Mm -hmm. which I do a lot in my cooking. And that takes, you know, months sometimes. And the process is really grueling. And sometimes you have to plan like really, really in advance to make a lot of my dishes. And that's just the nature of like Korean cuisine because it's a lot of fermentation. And even things like soy sauce or gochujang or twenjang, which is fermented soybean. These are like things that a lot of Korean households or Korean recipes have, especially my recipes. And we love to make them from scratch. So you have to like plan really in advance. And I don't know, I just like to make things special. And sometimes special means like very complicated and, like, <laughs> and doing like a, a lot of steps towards that. Yeah. Good things take time. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> How do you think that Korean cuisine is perceived and represented in kind of this global culinary scene. I mean, it's kind of crazy how much it blew up, right? Mm-hmm. And it, if you see a lot of restaurants now, especially in New York, you see Korean food in all of its for all of the different forms. And obviously, if you go to Korea, there's so many like regional cuisines, and it's not just like Korean barbecue. Obviously, there's so many layers to Korean food. And I think that New York is kind of like this really great global representation of Korean food because you have like the super high end Korean food that lots of chefs are doing. But then you see, you know, like the street food or more like rustic style of Korean food. And then you, you know, you go to like the other boroughs like Flushing or even New Jersey, and then you get like very specialized Korean food. So I think it's amazing that, you know, we've come this far. And I think there's main reason why it did. It's just because it's so freaking delicious. (laughs) You know, why else? Why else? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, For you personally, you know, as a restaurant owner, I mean, do you feel like it's also kind of your mission to to really broaden that appreciation and bring those flavors to people that maybe haven't tried them before? Yeah. I mean, I think that it is very important for me and it just became sort of this mission statement of my restaurants to kind of represent Korean food in that way. Because yes, if you're in New York City and you're lucky to live here to get to try all the different types of Korean food and different types of cuisines. But like if you're in the middle of America or somewhere where there's not very readily available, like Korean food, then how do you learn about it? Right. So for me, the approach has always been 
to share those flavors somehow, whether it be online or through a show or even competition shows or things like that. Even selling things online through either Gold Belly or you know, these platforms, it's been sort of this like mission statement for our restaurant to kind of represent Korean food in the best possible way. So it's kind of like a big responsibility <laughs> that I didn't know that I w- would undertake, but it just kind of happened. Yeah. You mentioned your restaurant. Mock Bar has three locations across New York. You also have a Korean cocktail bar, Miss You. Can you kind of take us through what are those menus? What do those experiences look like for somebody, you know, dining at one of your restaurants? So we definitely evolved our concept over time. When we, when I first opened, it was kind of this more specialized noodle shop. We specialized in ramen because at the time there was a big kind of ramen boom. People like really were getting into like the whole concept of ramen and it was just a very, very popular item. So I used that kind of as a vehicle to introduce Korean flavors. And this was kind of at the time where Korean food was still very like new to a lot of people, new flavor profile. There's lots of people that never tried Korean food before. And this was kind of my way of introducing Korean flavors, kind of disguising it in a form of a bowl of ramen. And then over time, we evolved into more of a quick service type of restaurant, especially managing all the different locations and the volume that we were doing. We kind of condensed the menu into a more simple form so that, you know, people could have it, you know, every other day. You know, like I want Korean food to kind of be in this rotation of like whether you're getting Thai food or Chinese food or even Italian, like put Korean into that mix. So we, I kind of wanted to have like a very simple menu. So we kind of evolved into a quick service and now we serve noodle bowls and also rice bowls and Korean snacks. And I hope to kind of add a lot more locations, which is what I'm currently working on. Okay. So yeah, kind of now going beyond New York City and hopefully popping up in new cities. I mean, I guess on that note, like what's what's your vision for for the restaurant as as you start expanding it and and bringing these flavors that you talk about to other places other than New York? Well, I feel like there's definitely an opportunity to globalize Korean food even further as a quick service kind of like fast food, but not fast food because it's healthy and nutritious and really good for you. And, you know, one of the big things is to be able to scale. And that's definitely something that I'm looking looking forward to do. What kind of advice would you give to other chefs maybe considering opening a place of their own? Because, you know, obviously it's restaurant business is not for the faint of heart. But I think, you know, most of the chefs we talk to on here like love it, but they also, you know, it also <laughs> gives them a lot of stress <laughs> in their life as well. Oh my God, Jamie, it's so <laughs> stressful. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like you're managing people, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of different personalities and people in the restaurant business can be a very certain way. So I think that's probably one of the most challenging things is that you're managing a lot of people and having good kind of these like leadership skills, I think is very, very important. And, you know, obviously you can learn that in many 
different ways. But that's something that people don't think about. They just think about, oh, the restaurant or the food and the ambience and all those things are important. But really, it's the people in the restaurants that work there every single day that matter the most because, you know, the people are the heart of the restaurant. So, yeah. So I think that that's probably the most challenging part. So it's like, that's something that people don't think about. So that I would strongly advise like, you know, learning leadership skills. And of course, obviously, you know, the food and drinks and all that has to be perfect, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's just a lot, you know, it's a lot of work. I guess what's your process when you are kind of like formulating a menu or thinking about maybe a new dish that you want to introduce to the, to the menu? Like, what is your process like in, in starting that from like, just like an idea to actually, you know, a menu item? Well, I think the first thing that I think about is what makes a dish special and thinking about like, for me, it's always about the person that I'm serving. So I do a lot of special events kind of like all over the country and even overseas. And I'm always thinking about like the guest experience. And for me, when I'm creating a menu item, that's what I first think about. Well, it's like, what's local and seasonal? And then who am I serving? And, you know, pleasing the guests is probably the most important thing because, and that's what my grandmother taught me as well. It's not about you and what you want to cook. Mm -hmm. It's about what you're, who you're cooking for, right? Because in the end, you know, why are we chefs? We lo love feeding people and we like to see that satisfaction on their face. So I think that's probably for me, the one of the most important things that I think about before I formulate a menu. And then thinking about like the regional and seasonality of the menu or where I'm cooking. So that kind of thing is like the first Thoughts And then, of course, you know, thinking about the menu mix and having a variety of things and, of course, representing myself as well. And I do that through, you know, the flavor profiles of like fermentation and and the things that I like to use in my cooking. Speaking of which, if somebody out there is listening and kind of wants to start exploring maybe some of these Korean flavors at home, what dishes do you recommend that they start with? I think that probably the, I guess the gateway to Korean food is Korean barbecue. I mean, it's, it's so coveted and loved and, you know, it, it's just delicious, you know, <laughs> and it's like, I, I feel like it's the easiest kind of step into Korean food. And then from there, obviously pairing that with Korean side dishes, panchan, like kimchi obviously is, you know, obviously the heart of I, I feel like Korean cuisine, mm -hmm. they, like starting to dabble in those things will kind of make you fall in love. And then from there, you can kind of explore a little bit further in. But I think, you know, that's like the easiest way to start. And of course, if you're going out to eat at a Korean restaurant, Korean barbecue is just such a fun experience that people just like love. I don't I don't know one single person that doesn't love Korean barbecue, you know. If somebody has not had that experience, how would you describe it? Korean barbecue classically is a grill in front of you and then lots of meat, short ribs, like all the different types of cuts of meat, usually marinated in like a soy sesame oil marinade. And then they grill it right in front of you. And then you eat it with like a lettuce wrap and then all the panchan, which are the little side dishes that are usually seasonal, some pickles and kimchi, things like that. And then you make 
your lettuce wrap with like the different sauces. And the beauty of it is that you can kind of mix and match and mm-hmm. eat whatever combinations that you like. So it's very like personalized to your own kind of want and need. And the greatest thing is, is that it's, it's meat and vegetables really you know, <laughs> with, with rice. I mean, how do you not love that? Yeah, I think uh, that's definitely on, on most people's, you know, eat, mm-hmm. eat every day list kind of thing. And I know that also, you know, just the idea of kind of sharing dishes, communal dining, that it's a big, you know, an important role that it plays in Korean cuisine. Why is that such an important aspect of the culture? I think because family is such a big theme in every Korean house. I mean, in Korea in general, like it's just the most important thing, family. I mean, I think in life in general, everyone would agree. So it was just a way to eat, you know, like in a big table, all around sharing everything. And that's really what family is about, sharing. It is. Is -hmm. there anything that you wish people knew more about Korean food? I think that that there's so many different layers. Not mm-hmm. I know that I did talk about Korean barbecue as like kind of the gateway into <laughs> into Korean cuisine, but you know, it's beyond Korean barbecue. There, there's just so many different types of Korean food, whether it be noodles, rice dishes, protein, and exploring all those things is is so special. And I would say that the ingredients is what really does make it special, which I talked about before. Gochujang, which is a fermented chili paste. It's like very, um, it's very Korean. It's probably one of the most iconic Korean ingredients. And, you know, but you can use it in like so many different ways, not just Korean food. Like I love making pasta with gochujang. I add it to my stews. Yeah. Breezes. And it gives like this kind of like deep depth of flavor. It's Mm -hmm. just so amazing. Such such an amazing ingredient that you can use in so many different ways. So, you know, exploring like Korean ingredients, I feel like it's, it's very fun and Mm -hmm. kind of unique too. And it can give like your dishes like a little twist. Yeah. No, I mean, I love using it for like a wing sauce, although I know that that's also very Korean as well. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah, like switch up, switch up your hot sauces for, for your wings, right? Yeah, definitely. Stick around because Esther reveals her favorite Food Network shows and talks about what it was like to cook against Bobby Flay when we come back. You know, as we kind of start, you know, talking about also your, you know, your TV career as well. What is it like for you to be representing this cuisine that you obviously are so passionate about on, you know, a national or a global stage, whether it's cooking competitively or judging or or any of these things? Well, I, it's definitely, it's, it's a big responsibility. I think that's number one. So of course I have to really know my stuff. That, <laughs> that's really important. And I think that the biggest thing is to inspire others to do so as well, you know, mm-hmm. represent who you are, where you come from and don't be shy about it because it's special just because, you know, it's you. Right. So I think I'm just being me without trying to be something. So it's just, I don't think of it. So like, yeah. Oh, I have to like, right. It's just, I'm just naturally doing it because I love it and it is who I am. So I think that the nicest thing is definitely when I get a lot of like messages and notes from the younger generation saying it's such an inspiration for them to see someone that looks like them on mm-hmm. screen and that can represent 
and that they aspire to be like that as well. So that always, you know, touches my heart when, when that happens. So it motivates me to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And you've mentioned, you know, earlier in the conversation that you grew up a fan of Food Network, obviously ended up interning and working there. But what what shows did you love watching, you know, as a kid? (laughs) So many. I was obsessed with Food Network growing up. I loved Iron Chef. That was a very big inspiration for me. And, and I got to work on a few seasons of Iron Chef when, when I worked at the network, which was really, really amazing moment. And I think I just love in the kitchen shows Mm -hmm. and I still feel like I could watch it all day because (laughs) I don't know, it's just, I, I just like, like looking at food and watching food and watching people cook. So yes, I grew up watching Iron Chef and competition shows are great, but for me, the most comforting TV was always to watch kind of chefs cook, like teach you how to cook on, yeah. on screen. I mean, that was like how you learn to cook, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I think there's something to be said for that. A little bit of a slower pace. You hear that, you know, the pots and pans banging. It, it is. It's just kind of like a soothing, you know, thing right? to have I love on. it. <laughs> I, I love it so much. Yeah. And it's just beautiful to look at, too. Yeah, so. absolutely. But speaking of competition, you've been on Beat Bobby Flay. You've been a guest judge on Chopped. I guess, did anything surprise you about being on a Food Network set as the talent, you know, versus, like you said, kind of working behind the scenes on some of these other shows? Well, Well, I think that the biggest thing is that you don't realize is it's hard to be talent. It's it's (laughs) really not easy. It's long hours. It's definitely, you know, work, right? You're, you're putting in the work and it's a lot of pressure because, you know, not only do you have to like cook, there's like cameras all over you and you have to like speak well. And there's a lot of things that people don't think about that I didn't think about. I was like, oh, wow. You know, it's, really hard to be talent and you have to be good. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a learning progress. <laughs> what was it like cooking against Bobby? So Bobby and I are good friends and we cook together, you know, many, many times. And it's super fun to cook with him because he's fun. He's just a fun guy and super intense and really competitive. <laughs> and so am I. So I, I just think that it's it's just fun because we are both very competitive and, you know, who you're cooking against or with only makes you that much better. So for me, of course, you know, Bobby, one of the best chefs in the world, I, I would say, cooking with along with him or against him, it just speaks a lot to me and what I have to aspire to be like. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, more importantly, what did it feel like to beat him alongside your bud, Leah Cohen, on Holiday Throwdown? I mean, it's always great to win, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's probably one of the best feelings ever, but also it's just, I feel like one day I have to compete with him against what he's really good at. Obviously, yeah. I beat him because it's my cuisine, you know, like it's Korean food. And that would be really sad if I lost to him in that. Right. So, (laughs) but I mean, I think on that, that the holiday throwdown special, you guys were the only ones to actually beat him and he was going up against some other talented chefs in their own cuisine as well. So it's, it's not as, as easy as you make it sound. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's tough, right? Like he, he can throw it down. I mean, that's what he does. Right. And he's, he, and it's like, it's his 
territory, his kitchen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are advantages, but I mean, for me, it would be like, I represent Korean food. I have to obviously be in in Korean food. That's like, I I wouldn't (laughs) be able to live with myself if I did (laughs) it. What do you think makes him so good in that arena? I think it's the mental power, you know, and also lots of practice. You know, he's done, he's done like thousands of competitions and it practice makes perfect. And if that's in anything in life, it's like a sport, right? Competing and cooking is definitely very equivalent to like playing sports. You have to practice and the more you practice, the better you get. It's mm-hmm. just what it is. And reps. Could, yeah, exactly. Like you could be the best chef in the world, but if you haven't ever competed or cooked in that type of environment, you're not going to perform the way you think that you're going to perform. So like, you know, after doing several competition shows, I realized like, wow, this is kind of like, you have to like exercise, you have to practice, you have to have all these things in line to get better and to be the best. So. So what dish do you think that you would try to, you know, go up against him with that is more in line with like what he's familiar cooking? Have you thought about it? I don't know. Like pasta? I mean, what, what is Bobby? <laughs> like, like pasta, anything like, Southwestern, yeah. like exactly. anything with chili peppers in it. <laughs> right. Like, oh, I don't know. Pa- paella? I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. I there mean, you go. He, yeah. I mean, he cooks like so many different things, but I feel like right now he's like obsessed with Italian food. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking maybe that I'm obsessed with Italian food yeah. as well. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can you could throw some gochujang in there, yeah, uh, exactly. you know, and then throw them off that way. On the flip side, when you are, you know, judging these other competitors, like what are you paying close attention to when you're evaluating a dish? I think on the flip side, obviously, it's not as hard as competing, but judging is also a difficult thing. Like you have to think about a lot of things and these are people's like careers and livelihoods and you have to be really fair. And for me, it comes down to thoughtfulness of the dish and how it was composed. And when it, when I say that, it means like, you know, textures, flavor profile, different elements. And you can really see a chef through their cooking, you know, like what type of chef they are. And I think that for me, like the thoughtfulness that someone gives to a dish really matters. I mean, obviously, you know, skill sets and like, and basic techniques has to all be there. That's like kind of the basic thing. But I think what makes a dish really special is when, you know, you can kind of read a chef through their food. And also in the end, it has to be delicious. <laughs> First and foremost, it's food and it has to taste good. Yeah. And a lot of the times in competition, people don't taste the, their food. Their actual dish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess also it's it's hard when, you know, Chopped is throwing, you know, four random ingredients at you as well. Yeah. But yeah, at the end of the day, make it taste good. And that's half the battle, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which do you prefer, competing or or judging? I mean, like I said, like judging is a lot easier. A lot easier. <laughs> it's like peace of mind. Like you don't stress out and get so nervous where, you know, before any competition, I'm literally I can't sleep for days. I'm like sweating and I'm like, <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking about like every combination of everything out there because you really don't know what 
you're going to get and what's going to happen during battle. And it's like mentally very exhausting because you have to like prepare. And I'm just so competitive that like, I can't live with myself if I lost. Like I, <laughs> I would be, yeah, I would just beat myself up to death. Like that's just how I am. So how do you prepare for, for a competition? I mean, like, especially not knowing necessarily what you're going to be cooking. Like, do you practice? Do you time yourself? Like, or are you, is it more of like a mental preparation? Jamie, don't tell anyone, but, (laughs) (laughs) but yes, I practice and you have to, like, I I don't know. And that's what makes a really great competitive chef. I think is that like practice, like I said, makes perfect. Mm -hmm. And for me, if I didn't compete for a long time, sometimes it's like, months before I do the next competition or even like a year and you're rusty. Like I don't really remember. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I have my chefs in my restaurant throw things at me and then I time myself because I think the most important thing is that time clock and that's your biggest enemy. It's not the other chef. It's really that time clock. And I always have to make sure that I can beat the time. So it's just getting into that battle mode, I think is really is what's important for that practice. And I'll sometimes do like several rounds for like days before the competition, just so I can get myself ready and mentally prepared. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, you know, we were talking about it being similar to a sporting event and athletes definitely don't walk into games without practicing, you know, exactly. so <laughs> they train for months, you know what I mean? Like that's what you have to do. And, you know, and also it takes a lot of like stamina, you know, you're there for like 14 to 16 hours and you have to like be really mentally prepared. So Yeah. Is there a Food Network chef that you would love to cook with or against? Well, so I love Alex and I've Mm -hmm. never cooked with her before. So I would love to have a chance to cook with Alex. And actually next month I'm cooking a dinner with Bobby and Michael Simon. Nice. Um, Yeah. We're doing a beautiful charity dinner and it's obviously such an honor to cook alongside with them. And I've never done a dinner like that before with Bobby or Michael. So I'm very excited for that. And yeah, so I mean, but cooking with any of the chefs obviously is it's just such an honor because, you know, like, like I said, you're only as good as, you know, who you're cooking with and you, it inspires you to be better. Yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing you cook on our screens a lot more in the future. We are going to finish things off with a little rapid fire round. And then we have one final question for you. Okay. All right. Rapid fire questions. Your quirky food habit. I love eating with my hands. Okay. When you're not cooking, what's your favorite food to eat? Anything like slurpable, I would say, (laughs) you know, like noodles, obviously, but like pasta, like Mm -hmm. anything that I can like slurp. I like just love noodles. Yeah. Same. (laughs) Favorite New York City late night spot? Koreatown for sure. It's it's like open 24 seven and it's like lit at like 4 a.m. So it's the best. (laughs) Favorite travel destination? I would have to say anywhere in Asia, it's just like a fun, like such a different experience when you're out there and it's very, very food motivated, obviously. So Mm -hmm. for me, yeah, Yeah. always. (laughs) Favorite sweet treat? Matcha ice cream. Okay. Your favorite New York borough? Manhattan, of course. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Cooking disaster you'll never forget. I was doing a big dinner for like a hundred 
people and my ice cream did not set in the <gasps> freezer. There's something like wrong with it. So oh, I had no. to turn. I know it was insane. And it was really last minute. And I realized that it didn't set. So I had to turn the ice cream into like a parfait and call it something <laughs> different. Oh my God. But it ended up being great. So it's fine. But I would never forget it though. Right. That's stress. Well- <laughs> At least you recovered well. Yeah. All right. Last question is not rapid fire. You can take as long as you want on this. And yeah, we want to know what's on the menu for your perfect food day. So breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. There are no rules. So you can travel, time travel, spend as much money as you want. You know, anyone can prepare these dishes. You can prepare them. Um, Calories don't count. All the things. No rules. It's just your perfect food day. God, this is so hard. This is like crazy because it's like you're throwing like anything. At yeah. It. Like it's just the, <laughs> the world is your oyster. But I did think about it. I think that my breakfast would start at like 3 a.m. at Tsujiki Fish Market. Oh. I mean, it's the best breakfast in the world. How can you not? <laughs> and I will go gladly go there at 3 a.m. and wait to, to get some of the freshest fish for breakfast. And who doesn't want sashimi for breakfast, right? Yeah, no, it sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah. And then for lunch, I would probably take my grandmother to Korea and we would eat at Cheongwan's temple, which is like Buddhist temple cuisine. And, you know, it's all like vegan food and it's all like such beautifully thoughtful temple cuisine. Mm. And it would be my dream to have a meal like that with my grandmother and have Cheongwan kind of like cooking for us. It would oh, wow. be super special to do that. And for dinner, I I have to say, I mean, this is kind of pretentious and probably like so typical, but I have to go to Noma because <laughs> it is the number one restaurant in the world for yeah. so many years and I have not been yet. So, um, and they're closing I, soon, right? I or know. Not, not soon, but like, but yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I have to, I mean, it's like, I have to experience it at least once. So I might do that this summer. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to try, but I, at least in this fantasy day, yeah, you're going. Yeah, you can, yeah, exactly. exactly. You can do whatever you want. Exactly. Exactly. And, and then I think for dessert, I'm not like a big sweets person. Like I don't really eat dessert. So I think that it would have to just be like in the streets of Rome, kind of like walking around eating like pasta, having the glass of wine in that weird like little like door where they like hand you wine oh, you yes. on it. <laughs> yeah. Like that's what I want to do. Like it just for dessert for me, it's always some sort of like delicious alcoholic beverage. So <laughs> I feel like wandering the streets of Rome and getting to drink all the wine would be perfect. I mean, that sounds like a pretty sweet ending to your perfect food day, your global, you know, know. world trotting food day. No, it sounds mm-hmm. perfect. Thank you again for taking the time. And, and again, congratulations on your hot list, I guess, nod. And we look forward to seeing more of you soon. Thank you so much, Jamie. I had such a fun conversation with you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. You can follow along with Esther on Instagram. Her handle is Choy Bites. And make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. Bye.